0: What I would say is it's okay and it is absolutely something you should expect not to know what your ultimate destination is going to be. What you need to practice is the skill of really listening to that intuition and if you actually lean into that and let it lead you, you will inevitably be on your right path because there is no right path. But the joy I think that comes out of doing what you love is really about being dedicated to just being on your right path. And then everything feels joyful.
1: Hey guys, welcome to active ingredient, the podcast. and ultimately how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. I don't think I have ever been this excited for an episode before. I was on a high after I talked to Elisa and I was talking to my team about it and I literally was like, I feel like I'm going off a rocket ship to Elisa VD land because I was—I I just couldn't stop talking about it. Elisa is a functional nutrition and woman's hormone expert, the founder of modern hormone healthcare company, Flow Living, best-selling author of Woman Code and In The Flow, and creator of the MyFlow app, the number one paid period app on iTunes. She has spent the past 20 years studying, researching, personally applying, and globally teaching how to stop hormonal chaos and get into hormonal flow. I actually first discovered Elisa several years ago when I saw her viral TED Talk on her personal hormonal journey that's gotten millions of views. And I remember being so deeply impacted by her story. I think about it all the time. Alisa is a true pioneer in the world of female biohacking, demystifying every single symptom that we face, and has come up with solutions for all women who are currently struggling with hormonal issues. Which by the way, it is reported that 50% of us are dealing with it, and I'm included in that number, which I personally think so many more than 50% of us are dealing, but anyway. Her reputation most definitely precedes her. She's been featured everywhere. Dr. Oz, The New York Times, Ted, Woman's Health, Forbes, Refinery Twenty Nine, and so many others, and she contributes to Well and Good, Mind Body Green, Huffington Post. Honestly, our girl is all over the place. In today's episode, we get into Alisa's personal hormonal journey, having suffered from PCOS and having dealt with debilitating symptoms from the age of twelve to twenty-two, and how she healed herself from her own hormonal breakdown how that experience led her to devote her life to empowering women to live in harmony with their hormones. We talk about how women have historically been left out of clinical research when it comes to health and fitness and how that's affected us, how women can be living an optimal life or a life in the flow, as she likes to call it, by simply eating, exercising, and working in a way that supports the four phases of our cycles versus against them, what our infradian rhythm is and how it differs from our circadian rhythms, and listening intently to our intuition. So, with that, let's get into this week's episode with the one and only Elisa Beattie. So, thank you so much for being on Active Ingredient. You have been one of the guests that I really, really wanted to have on uh, for so many reasons. You were the first TED Talk I ever saw. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah. So I'm so pumped to have you. Thank you for Uh, being here. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. So I kick off every podcast asking the guests what they were like as a kid, because I've typically seen that um, if a person is working in their active ingredient, which is like interchangeable for purpose, a lot of the times, some characteristics from when you were like in your 10-year-old state translate into when you're working in your active ingredient. So I'm just curious to know what you remember from your childhood.
0: I remember a lot. And in fact, um, I'll tell you two things first, when I was like even younger than 10, maybe seven or eight, I would round up my neighbor kit, like my neighbor's kids and my next door neighbor had this great porch and I would, I would get them all to come in and I would play school with them. And I'd be the teacher so I'd like totally be like, okay. And I would prepare lesson plans and give them handwritten homework things to do. Like, I don't, that was That's funny literally what you do today. <laughs> I, I like to teach it's not. And then the other thing that I would do with the same neighbor's kids is I would. we had this uh, external staircase to the upstairs part of the house. And underneath was this I don't know. For me, it was like my little magical cave, but it was like a, you know, whatever those little cubbies are under the stairs. It was big. And my, my dad, Harry Potter one. I don't even know. But my dad, my dad put a desk in there and chairs and, and I took my cash register, my toy cash register out there and a pad of paper. And I would play business. I don't know. I would just like, where does that
1: come from? I don't know. Is your mom?
0: No. Entrepreneurial? No, I just, just, I, so That's my two, so and cool. then the other thing that I would do as a kid was I was deeply interested in biology. Like I literally had a deep relationship with this tree in my backyard. <laughs> um, and like, I would like, it's like, I, I would collect, um, you know, anything that was growing in the spring and I would like draw what was happening. I was really fascinated with nature. And I was—I would always be playing business and uh, round up the kids to teach them. So those three things—the uh, love affair I have with uh, biology, um, leadership, and teaching—have been something that's absolutely been with me from uh, early memories of like my own imaginative playtime, me making things up to do that were fun and entertaining for me. Um, were those things? That's and so cool.
1: Like, yeah, I love for to hear that, for you know, real.
0: Like for real. And, and reading, reading constantly to the point where my mom would be like, you haven't moved in hours. You need to do something besides reading. I'm like, I can't stop reading this book, <laughs> you know, so, uh, my, you know, and I think that sort of, to, even to this day, just researching things for me is really pleasurable because I so enjoy getting lost in, uh, through information to figure out what is
1: the truth valuable, useful, yeah. you know? I love that answer. So what did you think you wanted to be?
0: I mean, I think I, I really, it, it, from an early age, I wanted to be a, a gynecologist, an obstetrician, doc, like I wanted to help women, you know? Okay. And but we, we
1: need to talk about where that desire comes from because I, I'm always so jealous of people. And like, really this podcast is for people who are kind of lost and don't know how to figure that out for themselves. I'm so jealous of people who are like born out the womb, knowing like, I want to be a journalist or I want to be an OBGYN. You <laughs> listen, know?
0: Like, listen, my, my, I didn't, it wasn't like, oh, I knew I was going to do that specific thing. What I knew when I was younger was that I wanted to help people and be a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. As I got older, I wanted to do focus on women's health because then I, you know, as a female, as a Mm -hmm. pubescent teenager, I thought, oh, that feels relevant. So it wasn't like I was out the womb in that sense. (laughs) However, because of my encounter with conventional medicine and my own hormonal problems that desire felt out of alignment right because I said well if if I can't get taken care of by that type of doctor that's supposed to take care of women's health hormonal health issues um, how would I then help other women so then I felt like I got lost a little bit in terms of um well, now I'm not sure, but then my journey of recovering from this hormonal issue and all the research that I did while I was at Hopkins, mm-hmm. um, you know, really clarified that, in fact, it wasn't exactly that I wanted to be an OBGYN. and I wanted to be a functional nutrition expert, women's hormone researcher and women's hormonal healthcare activist. So it was this journey that was the crucible that clarified for me exactly. Um, the, the medium through which I could do, uh, support women the way that I had wanted to when I was a little girl.
1: How did you identify that functional medicine was the route for you? I feel like a lot of times, and especially doctor's mindsets, it's like once you've decided that it's such an identity factor, you know, like I'm going to become a doctor. Like how do you then kind of, how do you make peace with the fact that that's not the route that you're going to take anymore? And then how did you, how did you, I guess, start identifying different paths that could get you to your ultimate goal of helping people um, for what you needed help for?
0: Yeah, I... I hear what you're saying. I but I did make peace with it because, in fact, I felt like the the journey that I went on with my health um, really truly empowered me personally, but also then to understand mm-hmm. that you know conventional medicine is wonderful for what it does, which is you know diagnosing diseases, fixing broken body parts, doing complicated surgeries. And using medication, uh, especially in a triage format like antibiotics, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, And research, right? Research. So conventional medicine is great for a lot of things, but conventional medicine, um, you know, leaders will tell you, uh, that in fact, they struggle in the area of chronic health issues, right? Like addressing, the the chronic issues around diabetes mm-hmm. or, um, and, in, I, and I would argue in the case of women's hormonal health, right? We can look just to someone like Lena Dunham as a great example of how conventional gynecology struggles with the chronic nature of hormonal dysfunction, because if you can't medicate it or surgically address it, those are the tools that conventional medicine has. So, uh, and which are excellent tools when they work, when mm-hmm. they don't. And in my case, there were no, none of that was going to work. And in Lena Dunham's case, it didn't, it, you know, we all know that unfortunately she had to have her uterus removed. Um, It, it, it's, it just seemed really clear and logical to me that there, there was going to be some other path for me that was going to be a more helpful path for myself personally. And then something that I could then help, to teach other women how to do. So I felt very much at peace with it just because I look at everything very pragmatically, like, well, Mm -hmm. what, whatever's going to work, that's what I would like to do.
1: So can you walk us through what was going on in your life and how you kind of came to this conclusion? Cause your story is incredible. And then also if you can weave in the Ted talk, because it it all kind of comes together. Um, But if you can just walk me through what you were dealing with personally and the problems that you needed to address that you didn't feel like there was an answer for.
0: So, you know, from the age of 12 to 22, I menstruated five or six times, and two of those were induced with synthetic progesterone. And I went to the gynecologist as early as was possible, which was 16. I didn't get my first bleed until uh, three months before my 16th birthday. So I knew something was wrong well in advance of the 16th so you so b- back then the rule was you couldn't go to the gynecologist until you were 16 or sexually active so since I was n- neither one of those things I had to wait until I was 16 but the whole time um my pediatrician who was caretaking me at that time was just saying oh you know it's normal to be delayed and, and I was I, I was being dis my concerns were being dismissed by my pediatrician then when I got finally was able to go to the gynecologist which I was so excited to do at 16 because I said finally I can talk to someone who will know and address what's wrong and address my concerns I was dismissed again like oh you know it's just normal for teenage girls to be irregular or delayed onset menstruation um, you know if you'd like we can put you on birth control you know etc and I was never comfortable with the idea of going on medication, especially when there was no known reason why we would do it. You know, right. if there was a, I, I'm all about it, what is the function and if it's really a compelling, then yes, let's do it. Even right. if that is conventional medicine. Um, so uh, since I couldn't reconcile with that, I said, no, you know, let's just, I guess, wait and see. And I said, do you have any reason why this, I would have such a delayed start to my period? She said, no then things got progressively worse, right? Where um, my weight really started to, to sort of like expand geometrically, you know, I'm only five, six. And by the time I was, I don't know, 18, I was 210 pounds. Um, I was covered face, chest, and back in like so much cystic acne. It would take me a half an hour every day, sitting down because I couldn't stand up that long because I was so obese, to just cover the acne with prescriptive's under eye concealer because regular foundation would not do it. And then, you know, you'd still go out three shades too pale because of its under eye concealer. And you know, you just didn't. It, it was. It was. It was very.
1: Very. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry.
0: Because you know, especially at that young age, yeah. where you're body is supposed to be changing and you're supposed to be developing your sense of self as a young woman. It was very convoluted for me. And that whole decade from 12 to 22, and 22 is when I recovered my own self, but from 12 to 22, that whole decade was mired in confusion, isolation, no support from any sort of medical practitioner, uh, and no answers. And I cannot get that time back, right? and that. That is one of the things that still drives me today is that I don't want any other woman to have an experience where she has so much time lost to unnecessary suffering. Because I look at that decade as completely, that could have 100% been completely avoided, completely different. I could have been a, a teenager that had had, you know, normal teenage years, right? Right. And don't get me wrong. I enjoyed everything myself. happens for a reason. I so. enjoyed myself it's, as much as I yeah. could, but like, you know. And it led you to this. So it led me to this. And this was what it was. But I, I want to share. I always like sharing the the pain story because um I think every woman has a, a version of that with her hormones because what I know statistically is that over 50% of women are struggling with their hormones in the reproductive. I feel spirit.
1: like even more than that. And that's
0: just what's reported. Exactly. Right. I think it is far more it is the norm. So if you're going through it, somebody, you know, is,
1: and the fact, I that actually think it's probably like, I, I don't know if it's, if I could say a hundred percent a woman, I just, I heard you speak on a podcast about the science that we're basing off of all these trends. And um, it's just like, if the entire world is doing things based off of a male anatomy, how can it not be an endocrine disruptor? So how can you not have hormonal problems? <laughs>
0: Exactly. <laughs> like, that's why I wrote the second book because it was, I was just looking for, um, you know, this fundamental why is it that this uh, half of the species, you know, of the humans, why are the female version of us suffering at such massive. Quantities, comparatively speaking, to men, mm-hmm. and it is it does come down to the fact that we are disrupting our infradian rhythm, which is this um, term that I have now written the first book about. It's the book is called In the Flow, and this infradian rhythm is equally important to your circadian rhythm, but it, you only women in the reproductive years have this biological rhythm active. And everything that you've been doing with your diet, with your fitness, with even your bullet journal or your morning routine is disrupting your infradian rhythm because it's all based on research that's done to optimize the male circadian hormonal pattern, which is why they are thriving more so than women from a hormonal point of view, full stop. And of course it makes so much sense. And so, yes, it's been A great joy to break through some this sort of fundamental problem and and to be able to offer a solution the solution that I created in the book is called the cycle syncing method and it's really um, Exciting to see what's happening now on social media. We're having this sort of movement taking place of um kind of like I think what happened with Whole30 a, a couple of years back where people were, you know, really sharing and making it mm-hmm. their own. And um, we're seeing a lot of women posting what, you know, what they're eating for which phase of their cycle, which workouts they're doing and how they're yeah. organizing their time. And I, I love seeing that because um, we don't have to wait for research to start including us. They will, they have to, um, especially as we do the work to call that out more and more. But we don't have to wait even for institutions to change. We can just simply, armed with the correct and accurate information and knowledge about how our bodies, biochemistry and hormones function, make that change within ourselves and in our own lives and benefit today.
1: It is so empowering. Like I started implementing it probably... Two months ago and it is night and day. Like, first of all, yeah. the cystic acne, I'll, I'll get into it later, but like it really, really, really works. And I just, I'm really curious to know how you, with what you had available to you at the time, like how did you start identifying what works for each phase of the cycle? Like what were you doing to educate yourself to then kind of really synthesize it and make it so clear for someone to understand the, what to do in the four phases of your cycle. And also for those who don't know, what are the four phases of the
0: cycle? <laughs> I know, not I don't even know if we finished answering your first question, <laughs> but we're here now. Okay. okay. So, um, so the four phases of your cycle are the follicular, the ovulatory, the luteal, and the bleeding phase. And I always call it the bleeding phase because isn't it confusing and convoluted to have a menstruation, a menstrual cycle, a cycle like, Mm -hmm. and that, that is somehow that one word or those words are supposed to refer to both the bleeding week and the whole month. Right. Let me assure you that nowhere have I encountered in any description of male biology or anatomy or hormonal patterns. Do they, do they double duty a word like that? So We also lack adequate vocabulary to describe our function and our experience, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. So that is why I will refer to this as your menstrual cycle that is Mm -hmm. governed by the infradian rhythm and that the week that you're bleeding, until we come up with some other vocabulary, let's just call it our bleeding. Bleeding. Okay, Mm -hmm. because that's what's happening. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) So, So those four phases have associated with them different hormonal concentrations and combinations right Um, and based on those how i began to piece together as i describe in the book i looked at um, a couple of things one you have because of the infradian effect on your metabolism throughout the 30-day cycle you have a what is referred to as a modulation right? The estrogen fluctuation modulates your metabolic speed. So the old thinking, because women have been left out of nutrition, and fitness, and medical research has been, well, women are just smaller versions of men with a slower metabolism. So therefore they just have to work out harder and and restrict calories more to get the same results with the protocols that work for men, right? So you have to take the male version make the assumption that you're just a smaller version of him and then work out harder and eat less than the calories he's being just prescribed. And of course, as we all know because we have been trying that premise and that experiment since the Jane Fonda workout video days, um, <laughs> Doesn't that does not work. <laughs> Cuz if it worked, we'd all be like where we want to be. Yeah. Right? And and I'm not here as anybody who's a weight loss focused person, though by balancing my hormones I was able to shed sixty pounds and keep right. it off for twenty years.
1: It's like a byproduct of just getting them in check. It's it,
0: exactly it. It should not be the focus. The focus weight loss should not be the focus, in my opinion. Uh, hormonal, I completely agree. Hormonal alignment and support should be the focus of your reproductive years, because then everything else falls into place. Because that infradian biological clock. Uh, Governs the 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 optimal functioning of your brain, your metabolism, your microbiome, your stress response system, your immune system, and your reproductive system. So, if you want all those things to work well without having to go crazy chasing your tail, spot treating all of those six key systems of your body, which by the way you are currently doing Mm -hmm. and not getting optimal results, stop focusing on this those things and focus on supporting and aligning with your infradian rhythm, and everything else works just like we know aligning and supporting your circadian rhythm confers enormous health benefits, right? Like, you know, it would be really detrimental to your health to sleep for one hour and be up for three days, right. but you know that if you get a good night's sleep and you wake up early with the sun, et cetera, and don't, you know, expose yourself to blue light at night, you're going to make everything else in your body be able to work the way that it wants to without right. any effort that is what I'm suggesting can happen for you.
1: I just, I can't wait for the day that it's just as known. It's just, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that about sleep. I just can't wait for the day that every single woman knows that about the four phases of their cycle.
0: Absolutely. we. I can't wait. And vocabulary is important, right? Like, you know, think back to, back in the, uh early nineties when Eve Ensler published the vagina monologues, right? There was no cultural narrative about what women refer, use as vocabulary to describe their, you know, their urogenital area, Mm -hmm. right? There were a lot of euphemisms that were privately being used as Eve pointed out in the book, but what it did was it exploded that conversation and mainstreamed self-referencing in a very empowered way even leading to tv shows like sex in the city Mm -hmm. which would regularly use vocabulary like vagina and clitoris Mm -hmm. on on television right right that that had a trickle down effect to forthcoming generations of young girls who now feel like that their just normal uh speak right right so similarly we have to have the introduction of new vocabulary that empowers us with knowledge that then normalizes a conversation that we then have just be in our back pocket as of course, right? Totally. So yes, it eventually will happen, but this is just the beginning, right?
1: So, so back to the four phases. Yeah. I want to just, and it doesn't have to be super, super detailed because I cannot recommend your book enough, Woman Code. I have to read in the flow, but Woman Code really just breaks it down super, super simply. Um, well, and- woman
0: Co- Woman Code is the book that if you have... Any sort of diagnosed menstrual disorder, if you have PCOS, fibroids, endometriosis, anything significant going on with your hormonal self, the flow protocol that's described in Woman Code is designed to recalibrate your endocrine system. This is what this was my first, um, the the first chunk of my research that helped me recover from my own PCOS, which is oh yes, which we didn't finish talking <laughs> about before. That is what I eventually found out that I had, and and. Um, and so that's really, if that's something that's going on for you, that book is the book for you. This new book, In the Flow, is all about this infradian rhythm and understanding and look, chart by chart. There's charts in each chapter. There's a food chart. There's a workout chart. There's a time management planner, the first time management system that incorporates both the infradian and the circadian clocks in chapter six. Then there's a chart in chapter seven about how do you apply this in your work culture? How do you apply this in sex and relationship? Because, oh, by the way, 60% of women are sexually unsatisfied. And we know that that's not even in the same galaxy of male sexual dissatisfaction. Most of them are sexually very satisfied. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they know how to work their biological process to achieve orgasmic outcome. And you, without an appreciation and understanding of your infradian response, don't know that you're having... A modulation of desire and even what is needed for stimulation to achieve, to architect, to biohack um, a, a positive orgasmic outcome each and every time. I don't want any woman anymore saying to me, gee, sometimes it's amazing and then sometimes it's flat and I have no idea why. There is a there's reason. A reason. <laughs> I can explain it to you and there's a chart in chapter eight so that you never have to be left feeling a little bit flat ever again. And there's even a chart for motherhood. So I really do break this down. In can't, a I'm,
1: that's, I'm buying that literally right after this.
0: Practical, practical, immediately usable way. But essentially it comes down to the fact that you have these four phases. They affect your metabolic speed, your stress, resting cortisol level speed, your immune system, your, your brain changes 25% over the course of the month. So it even affects your preferences of how you would go about addressing whatever you're working on. Knowing that, knowing that for example there are f- there's a few days out of the month where you have heightened verbal and social skills that you're basically th- the hormone is hyper stimulating those regions of the brain, and knowing how to plan for that, you can then go look ahead for the next twelve months and plan any speaking event or any major presentation at work or networking events or first dates or anything that's going to f- have you taking advantage of these verbal and social skills that are heightened during this time, you can plan ahead. Why wouldn't I wonder
1: you? how that's going to work in the future with like a room full of women who are on different schedules. Works, <laughs> like, you know. and in
0: fact, I go into corporations and I train women and men on how to make the infradian rhythm a more inclusive, or how to make the workplace more inclusive of women's biochemistry. And no one has to be on the same schedule. Again, this is all an inside game. You manage what is happening in your biology, right. just like the men do. Right? right? They've, they've been cycle syncing, so to speak, their own hormonal biochemistry since the beginning of the modern recorded human history. In fact, you could say that the patriarchy or corporate culture is simply viewed through the lens of biology or the biological clock world oh, that i view everything it's just really the fact that they've organized society and and the the optimal schedule around what optimizes their output based on their hormonal patterns it works really well and it will work really well for you you just can't base it on their hormonal patterns because you don't have the same ones right it makes right, right, sense right. once you hear it it's just we haven't ever heard that before so it's right new. so you know the food for example you're going to be eating foods that help you um, make hormones, break hormones down. You're going to be eating foods that address the the metabolic shift. So for example, in the follicular and the ovulatory phases, you have a slower metabolism. So you you can and should eat fewer calories. But in the luteal phases and the menstrual phases, you need about 300 calories more per day. And so you're going to be eating more calorie dense foods, and more calories so that you never have like your monster binge fest, you know, where you kind of go into a trance and eat mm-hmm. an entire bag of something because you're proactively eating the appropriate amount of calories
1: throughout the day. Should so you use or up, but should because yeah. I'm currently menstruating <laughs> TMI, <but> whatever. Oh, <laughs> um, same. I'm in, I, I'm on day two, what but anyway, a- um, <laughs> I feel like I get so much hungrier the two days leading up to it, but then during my menstruation or my bleed, I, um, I don't. Yeah. yeah, I like yesterday. I, like, was I, I didn't even want dinner. I had it, but like, I just wasn't that hungry. I should so what, force three hundred calories extra.
0: No, what you want to do is you want to eat as nutrient dense as possible and mm-hmm. listen to your intuition, right? Yeah. Listen to your body wisdom. If you need less, eat less. But what I find in the in the balance is that you maybe day one you may not be as hungry, but day two or three it's going to creep back yeah. in, and so. For example, last night on day one, I had maybe three ounces of grass-fed beef. That that was enough. Plus, I had a bone broth, plus I had some other high fat things. So I ate like you know the things that I recommend. Right, right, right. Of, oh, I sauteed a ton of shiitake
1: mushrooms because I was just, you know, craving oh, them. Right, I'm sorry, also, but I have those in four phases.
0: <laughs> in yeah, four you can phases. have them anytime, but like I really noticed that I specifically crave those mm-hmm. in the menstrual phase. So I always have them. And, you know, today, but my appetite was lighter yesterday, but today I'm, you know, ravenous. So, you know, I can feel that I'm still in that space of needing extra fuel. So it is really about going with the flow, which is why I called the book in Mm -hmm. the flow, because the more you align with what's happening in your body, the, the better your body works. Right. So for example, I first started noticing this phenomenon of the infradian disruption, maybe I want to say a decade ago when women were coming to my physical center a decade or plus ago there was this trend for women to get fit they would train for a triathlon and they would come to me after they had done the training and the competition and they 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 were like at a complete loss saying I don't understand what's happened I ran biked and swam 5 miles a day for the past 3 months and I competed and I did it and I put on 20 pounds How is that possible? And then I would explain to them how that's possible. Because if you actually, what the research shows is that if you do high intensity interval training after ovulation, you turn on fat storage and turn on muscle wasting. So if you've been scratching your head over the past several years, thinking to yourself, gee, I feel like I make progress when I go to my boot camp classes the first half of the month. And then by the time I get close to my period, I feel like it's all undone. That is not in your head. That is actually what is happening to you because you're trying to do the same workout throughout the the month. You need to modulate your your fitness intensity. So you do high intensity interval work and cardio, follicular, and ovulatory. Then in luteal and menstrual, you do strength training without a cardio component. So you can do Mm. walking, you can do Pilates, you can do yoga, you can do squat up against the wall for half an hour, hold a plank till you pass out. You can do all that kind of stuff. You just can't bounce around and do that high intensity part with the cardio component because it will trigger fat storage. And why? Because it's the combination of the fact that your metabolism has sped up and your resting cortisol levels are higher during luteal phase. So if you work out too intensively and more than 30 minutes, you go right into fat storage mode. So you gotta know how to biohack your metabolism. that's just one aspect of the cycle thinking method. It has three pillars: it has the food piece, the fitness piece, and the time management piece and then you really start to feel that flow, which is what I want for every woman
1: and i I really have been feeling that flow like a hundred percent. the app has been super super helpful yes the app- and my boyfriend also like you'd appreciate the story on Sunday. I was the day before my period or yes. the two days before and um I was literally having a tantrum. Like I was so annoying. Like I could just feel myself getting so annoyed at myself. And I was like, why do I feel this way? We biked to where we were going and it was so hot. And I was just like in a mood, like just well, times because you 100. did the wrong activity at the <laughs> wrong, hundred fa- percent. And I was like, oh, but like how fun for us to bike on Sunday. Like I, I just wasn't even thinking about cycle syncing. I was like, let's just do it, whatever. But I was literally in the worst mood ever. And then I we get to lay down and, and I was like, oh my God, I'm in such a bad mood. Like I don't even want to be here. And I was like, no, he was like, have you looked at your app? And I was like, oh my God, let me check. And I looked at it and it was like, expect to be irritable.
0: <laughs> you know, I was like, oh wow, I feel so validated. <laughs> this is what I love about men and their response to the MyFlow app. So I built an app called MyFlow. You can download it at MyFlow Tracker. And just to be clear, it's the circle, not the feather. Um, that's a whole other story. Anyway, so the... Men love the feature in the app called partner sync because Mm -hmm. partner sync empowers them to know, and not just men, if you're in a same sex or opposite sex relationship, your partner can be empowered to know at your own discretion, um, what is happening with you hormonally so that they can plan optimal activities to suggest for you guys to do together, Mm -hmm. Right. Like if he had known you were in your luteal phase, he would not have said, let's go on a h- bike ride in a hundred degree weather mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> he would have said, Oh my goodness. Now that we're back in the apartment. Cause I know you guys recently, you know, moved back in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, let's, uh, reorganize something. Let's do a deep clean. He would have suggested that and let me play some music or order it's some genius. Yummy food.
1: It's genius. He would also have like just when I'm in a mood, just look at my app. Yeah. That's it. You
0: know he would have kn- <laughs> known to do that. He would have suggested that. And, and then of course, also there's um, foreplay advice as well to help mm. you optimize and biohack your um, orgasm together as a couple. Because again, my experience is that especially men, because men have been trained from a young age to understand that their body is a tool that they use to master their lives, but also mm-hmm. to work with. Right. Whereas women, it's different. We've been told We're like that our working, bodies, against <laughs>
1: working against Forever. it, working against our body's
0: liability. You know, you have to work on your body. It's not your power tool. It's your problem mm-hmm. area. So men, and and because the whole culture, corporate culture, the patriarchy, whatever, has encouraged men to organize their lives around their hormonal reality. For example, men, athletic coaches, professional coaches who train professional athletes, men in general, um, they know. That they will train their male athletes at a particular time to to maximize testosterone utilization, to build ex, you know as much lean muscle as possible, to not train at certain times to prevent injuries because all of this has been studied and documented about the male hormonal pattern, which follows the circadian twenty four hour clock. And then men also know, sexually speaking, for example, you know I throw in this sex commentary here and there, but I want you to realize just how much you are missing out on. Men know. <clears throat> they wake up with all their testosterone in the morning. They sometimes see it. They would prefer every day, any day to have sex when they wake up because that's optimal for them. They also know that 10 o'clock at night and later, actually really eight o'clock at night and later is suboptimal for them. They're not going to have as much fun, have the bigger orgasm, have as much ejaculate at after 8 PM, because their testosterone is all used up from the day. Right. And that's actually when they're supposed to be sleeping to make the testosterone for the next day. So they know they're now, um, what's the expression stealing from someone to give to someone else or whatever. They're stealing right, from right. themselves at night. If they're engaging sexually, right. The testosterone they're going to use for the next day. So they know not to do this. They do it sometimes, but they know it's suboptimal. You don't know that's any so of this.
1: Interesting. So
0: you just keep doing anything at any time. And right. You're, you're hurting yourself. You're making, you're increasing stress, increasing inflammation, increasing PMS, increasing the risk that you will develop menstrual disorders, um, gaining weight unnecessarily or not losing it, um, creating brain fog. You know, not not being in front of the eight ball of life. Right? You're constantly behind it. And so anyway, that's why men love the app and love uh, when their women start using the cycle syncing method because that's what they're doing for themselves. Right, right, right. Now everybody's playing the same game and just in different ways because we're different. Right. But we should be equally caring for our bodies in that way.
1: I really want to understand at what point in this journey for you, did you feel like people were listening and receptive to actually implementing it to their lives? Was it the TED Talk? Like, when was it that you felt like it was clicking for people?
0: I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that question because I've been doing this now for 20 years. I will say that what I, what I can say is my experience has been that at the beginning, um, I was sort of... I felt like I was speaking, and they, there people weren't receiving it in the g- community at large. But mm-hmm. from the beginning, women were seeking out my my support and and getting results, and so that was fine on a, you know, individual basis. But you know, I remember having attending networking events with different physicians, and they'd look at me like I was totally nuts, you know. So I was like, okay, we're, I'm definitely uh, doing something that's a bit. Uh, future oriented. So maybe it'll take a minute for things to catch up. I will say um, it definitely has felt in the past 10 years, five years, and even now that it's, it's just really expanding a lot where, you know, five years ago we had sort of this normalizing, mainstreaming the menstrual conversation Mm -hmm. um, well and good. And mind, body green did great jobs, really bringing that forward as trends in the wellness industry. Mm -hmm. I was I'm very happy to be part of those things. Um, and I thought that was unprecedented in all of recorded human history that we had mass media mainstreaming menstrual information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really saw that as a huge turning point and or a, big, a good first step. Yeah. Um, and now I think with this, what I'm feeling with this book in the flow and the and this conversation about the infradian rhythm is because it is so new and because it makes so much sense to women when they hear it, that we're having another moment where we're making some progress. And so I'm um, excited for what's possible. You know, For me, I am, uh, you know, yes, a functional nutrition women's hormone expert, but I am an, a hormonal healthcare activist, right? I believe that women deserve better hormonal healthcare that we have been um, left to suffer because of a, a toxic, mythological narrative that is not founded on any scientific accurate information like the fact that you're supposed to have cramps for example is false at scientifically inaccurate you are not designed by nature to have cramps cramps are a biofeedback mechanism to let you know something is wrong that you have to fix
1: with your diet
0: even right?
1: like on day 1 like you're not supposed to have cramps at all no cramps okay no cramps. I, a- I, I have like cramps for literally 20, 20 minutes in the, like right before it happens. And then I don't have cramps for the rest of my period. And then
0: you can think, so you're supposed to have uterine activity. Mm-hmm. Cramps are like pain to the point where you have to take medication to manage the pain.
1: Right, I took I took (laughs) Advil.
0: So if you're if you're at that point, and then the cramp, so that so that means that you have an imbalance of prostaglandins that you need to work on. So you have three prostaglandins, PGE one, two, and three, that govern uterine action. The the, you know the uterus is a muscle, a very powerful Mm -hmm. muscle, Um, and so because it's smooth muscle, it's stimulated by these prostaglandins to function. If nature designed you to be in pain, which is the toxic myth, which is the biblical curse, right? If nature really was, if that was the intention, then you'd have, and since there's only three, you'd have two out of the three prostaglandins that controlled uterine contraction, Mm -hmm. because that should equal cramps, right? But it's the opposite. You have two out of the three that control uterine relaxation, and only one PGE number two that controls uterine contraction. Which means that the body, nature has designed you to have just the most efficient uterine contraction and then lots of uterine relaxation to help the, the endometrium exit the uterus efficiently. If you have too much PGE2, you have more cramps, right? How do we end up with more PGE2? If you're eating bad fats, you will then produce more PGE2 and suppress the production of PGE1 and 3, and you will have cramps. I used to have when I first got started as I was healing myself, cramps that were, and I have been in labor, exactly like labor. Wow. In waves, in way I'd have to walk around. I mean, it was like labor. And ch- cleaning out, doing the work to clean the liver and doing the work to increase good fats and, and forever eliminate bad fats, like canole, basically the omega-6s okay. goes away quickly. My God, that's it's in the so app, crazy. by the way, as you track so that's the one thing when people asked me after I wrote um, woman Code, people started asking me to build an app, and you know there are so many period trackers on the market. I said, well, if I'm going to build an app to track your period, I would like it to be one that empowers you as you're noticing a symptom to mm-hmm. teach you a micro little micro education. oh, you're having a breakout during ovulation. Here's why because that that breakout is different than your luteal phase breakout, your PMS breakout, very different hormonally and means something else is needed for you to clear out that, um, estrogen overload, let's say during ovulation. So it's teaching you, for example, why you'd have a cramp and what foods you can use to help. The app will keep empowering you with that Mm education. You can start doing micro food experiments, each cycle to help you see if it mitigates your symptoms, of course, and it will because when you change your dietary inputs, your endocrine function improves, right? And so it's exciting to be able to have women have that information at their fingertips. And that's what everybody loves about the MyFlow app. It is the top paid, uh, one of the top paid apps in the health and fitness category on iTunes. There is no period category. So, the MyFlow app is up there along with the top sleep trackers and walk, step trackers, because women go and check it each and every day. Like, look I've like been checking it each and every day. <laughs> like checking the weather, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, what? Because it also tells you where you are in your infradian rhythm yeah. and what to do. Um, it's such a powerful tool, and we're actually getting ready soon. I hope we're working really hard on it to um, release the the second version, which is going to be even more deeply infradian than the first. So, how
1: exciting! Out, yeah. I am curious to know your thoughts on DIM, D I M Mm -hmm. supplement, and also on myo inositol. DIM is great because it helps the body
0: um, not just metabolize estrogen, but also it's it has been shown to be cancer protective um, because it helps you know estrogen metabolize in proper ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's great, but I think that you know when we're talking about younger women in their 20s and and early 30s that you can actually get you don't necessarily have to be as aggressive as dim dim you know you want to maybe start taking in your mid 30s okay. when you're younger you know i would rather you take things like glutathione selenium vitamin c b vitamins all these things that the liver needs if you feed your body and your liver properly the liver will metabolize your estrogen for you and you won't Go have on you don't need to go as aggressive as that. I am a, let's do the, let's, I'm an additive type of approach person, right? You can always add more salt to the pot, but you can't necessarily take it out. And also- So would you say uh, that dim is, dim is
1: like way more aggressive than-
0: Dim is a very powerful micronutrient, very Uh positive, but like, I would rather you throw a handful of broccoli sprouts in your smoothie, you know, than start on dim if you're in your 20s, right? unless there's a history of cancer in your family and that that's a different conversation, right? But you can always layer up as you get, as you go, because you have to think of your relationship to taking care of your body and your hormones as a female as an ongoing journey that Mm -hmm. you have to, it's never static. What you're doing in your 20s, you're going to be doing things differently in your 30s, differently in your 40s. So it's about really getting educated, staying educated staying current with where you're at. That's another great thing about the cycle syncing method is it trains you to be in that, responsive, dynamic relationship Mm -hmm. with your body, as opposed to just what we've been conditioned to think, which is, well, just tell me what to eat and what to take every day. And I'll just, then I can check out and I'll just do this routine. That's, you cannot do that with the body, especially the gradient governed body.
1: And then quickly, and I'm asking about these two things just because there are topics that I've discussed with my endocrinologist. Dim was more so on one of her recommendations. Myo-inositol was with another hormone person that I was talking to. What are your thoughts on myo-inositol? I'm just like literally trying to learn as much as I possibly can about every single part. <laughs> well,
0: listen, I mean, I'm... I'm I- Myo-inositol has been shown to be really beneficial to promote ovulation for women Mm -hmm. who are struggling with irregular ovulation. So especially beneficial for women with PCOS. Mm -hmm. Um, It has some benefits in terms of blood sugar regulation. So it can be really helpful. It just, all of these things depend on what's going on 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 for you and what's happening. But for the vast majority of women, if you start with the basic foundation, Mm -hmm. Of supporting the infradian rhythm and taking the micronutrients that are universally needed by the endocrine system, then you don't need to find yourself in a position where things have gone so far out of whack that you need to take a ton of different supplements and try to really rehab your body. So what I am what I'm eager to help women understand is you want to get proactive with your body and its hormones and not wait till things are so bad that you're now in a crisis mode.
1: It's actually a really good segue in talking about the pill. So I just really want to talk about the pill just generally. I feel like the rise of vulnerability on social media has really just opened all of our eyes to these really influential women talking about their infertility, miscarriages, um, chemical pregnancies, et cetera. Um, And they may be in like their early 30s. At least that's what I've been seeing um, on my feed. I'm curious to know your general thoughts on the pill, and also just if you are a person that is in like your late twenties, early thirties, and are wanting to get pregnant eventually, like how far in advance should you start your Infridium Rhythm journey? um, Before, yeah, just how how do how do we go about it?
0: Yeah, I mean, so here's the deal: the pill is a great has been a great and watershed. tool for women to use to control um, their bodies in terms of pregnancy and that is a beautiful thing and it should be universally accessible the challenge is that the pill has a lot of drawbacks and side effects that you're not necessarily aware of while you're signing up for it Mm -hmm. in fact um ricky lake and uh, her partner, Abby Epstein, who did the Business of Being Born documentary are just about to put out their documentary called The Business of Birth Control, which I'm um, featured in, and we're actually doing a whole Mm. film screening in a couple of weeks together. Um, It's really important for you to know that synthetic birth control does a bunch of things. It depletes your micronutrient levels, So, and that's important because let's say... like oh okay well i'll just take it for 10 years and then when i'm ready to have a kid i'll get off of it and i should be fine even if you had no problems with your period when you were prescribed it you just used it to prevent pregnancy which is the the best way to use it you should it's and in fact there's lots of studies to show that in fact using it to treat pcos makes the pcos worse and and anyway here's why it's the same reason as why if you took it just for preventing pregnancy and you had no period problems 10 years later you may find yourself with um idiopathic infertility meaning no known cause is that it will be depleting your micronutrient stores massively for that entire decade without you realizing it plus you're not eating right you're dieting you're drinking coffee you're stressing in your 20s it's a busy time of life right All of this depletion. By the time you get off, you not only have to recover from that depletion, get your hormones to function again, um, and you may have gone on it before your brain and ovaries were even finished developing their conversation, which doesn't complete until 22. Some people even say 25. Right. So if you take this medication before that happens, then you go off of it. Your you may your brain ovary uh, status may be pubescent and not. Fully matured, and you will then need more time to let that all, you know, rebalance itself and then to get pregnant, right? And so you may not have that time, right? Um, and so it just becomes a question that you have to really consider at the beginning. If you know, as many girls do when they're 12, that someday they want to be mommies, right? And then you're told at 14, like, oh, gee, your cramps are so bad, or you have PCOS or something you need, to, or you have acne. I mean, they just put teenage girls on the pill just for acne. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes it actually worse because the, the androgenic effect of these pills shrinks your pores down to prepubescent sizes. So when you go off, the rebound effect is massive and you be, you become acneic because of this suppression of your androgenic function. Anyway, if you know you want to have a child at some point, being on the pill is going to likely cause that to become a more uh, convoluted journey. And so what you want to do is immediately get yourself into a place where you're supporting your infradian rhythm. The sooner you start taking care of that, the longer you're going to have your fertile window. In fact, I would say one of the things that should be researched is the level of disruption of our infradian rhythms for the long for over whatever period of time is likely to equate to um, a decrease in your fertile window. Women are designed by nature to be maximally fertile for the maximum amount of time in nature because nature wants to self replicate, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why you hear stories of women, you know, a couple generations ago who'd have children at 48, 50, 52, mm-hmm. right? And they would be healthy children, right? Because, well, they were not exposed to as many chemicals as we are today. They were eating more nutrient dense foods. And the body was designed to do that, the female body, which is why the advent of the birth control pill was so advantageous. Because, right. you know, if that's your eighth baby, that's hard on the body, mm-hmm. especially in your 40s. So the fact that we see women not having access to that fertility factor as early as their mid thirties is deeply concerning, but I think really points to the fact that this lifestyle of, dis- of infradian disruption has massive profound effect on that fertility factor. And it's just not something that's been looked at
1: yet. I got it so scary. I got off of it in January. And I'm just now, I mean, it was January, then COVID hit, hormonal craziness. And just now, after having lived kind of the best way I can, as I've been learning and doing things simultaneously, I've been trying to live this way for probably like a month and a half now. And I already feel so much more in harmony. Not to say that like, I haven't gotten, I mean, I did get a pelvic exam, so my ovaries look okay. But like, it's just so crazy how like in this period of time I've already seen such drastic changes in, in a well and that's positive. the other thing.
0: I'm glad. And but I mean just hearing you say that you just got off the pill and then you had this acne flare-up, that's why you had the acne flare-up in addition to the COVID stress right. situation. It was the rebound from what you know, there's some some hormonal birth control is anti androgenic, some of it is uh you know, pro androgenic. And in either case, you're either gonna have acne while you're taking it. Or in likely case, you're given the one that suppresses it. And then it just really changes your sebaceous glands so profoundly that when you mm-hmm. go off, the re, this, the acneic rebound is so dramatic that you feel like you're in a crisis and you need to go back on it. But right. really what you need to do is get off that train and-
1: And heal, get off of it for good.
0: <laughs> get off of it for good and really heal what is up with your body, which is a lot of micronutrient depletion. And again, that's why the balance supplements have been such a powerful tool for women who are transitioning off birth control because it helps with that rebound effect.
1: Um, Okay. So for rapid fire, plant-based movement, you're into veganism, vegetarianism. It's hard for women because your hormones are made from amino
0: acids Mm -hmm. and stabilized in um, fat. So you need to get your amino acids from somewhere. And if you've been doing any sort of diet history or medication history, you know, antibiotics especially, you could have disrupted microbiome that would make it harder for you to extract amino acids from just vegan sources. And so you may notice that your cycle is suffering. If not, and you can tolerate that well, beautiful. If you have no gut dysbiosis, great. But as a as a healing tool, a recovery tool to help you get your hormones in balance, you may need to consider using therapeutic amounts of animal protein um, to help you to help you get there. But it's not it's not a definite. It's it, 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 really I respect your personal choices and and it's good for the planet certainly. But I'm just interested in you having you achieving that optimal health. So you know if you can get there with uh, plant based protein. Powders and and really good gut health. Um, I'm I'm fine with that too. I, okay. I am I am not dogmatic about things. What I am is functional. So for example, intermittent fasting. I just did a whole expose that was one on of my that. questions. Yeah, <laughs> intermittent fasting. Um, the research has been done only on men and postmenopausal women the, that sh- that confer all those benefits. Um, I go into great detail in the new book to tell you why that is not the same for women in the reproductive years. Your fraying rhythm as it modulates your metabolism doesn't respond the same to fasting in the same way. And in fact, it can throw off your hormones, shrink your ovaries, make your thyroid dysfunctional, cause brain fog, cause you to gain weight, worsen insulin sensitivity. And they're just not right. sort of sh- disclosing that when they're saying, oh, intermittent fasting is good for everybody. Well, I'm doing some articles now. Um, again, keep checking on the Flow Living um, Instagram feed. We put everything there to really... Expose the truth for women so you cannot do intermittent fasting the way that it's being described. Um, the, there is a safe way to do it that's described in the book, um, uh-huh. but it's super different than what you're hearing about in the media. I had a feeling, yeah,
1: of course. <laughs> um, are nootropics endocrine disruptors?
0: Depends on what you're talking about, you know, so, um it, n- there are nootropics that are medication based, and then there are nootropics that are like, you know, ginkgo biloba, right? So, ginkgo is a little bit of a vasodilator, helps uh, bring more oxygen and blood circulation mm-hmm. to the brain. That's cool. That's not an endocrine disruptor. But if we're talking about like pharmaceuticals, there yeah. isn't any research on right. women. So, we can't say if they're endocrine disruptive or not. But what we can say is anything that you're taking that's Pharmaceutical base is going to have an effect on the liver, which then could throw your estrogen metabolism off and therefore have this indirect endocrine disruptive effect. But again, needs research, needs looking into.
1: Okay. Um, seed cycling.
0: Seed cycling is one way that you can use one specific food mm-hmm. across the four phases of your cycle. But if you, but that's just one food, what you would right. want to do is actually. Um, cycle all of your foods, which is what the cycle syncing method is about. And that gives you much more massive benefit than just cycling one food.
1: Okay. Amazing. That was all my quick fires. Um, I want to know from your perspective, I feel like you've touched on it a few times over the episode, but, um, I would love to know from your from your eyes what your active ingredient, like your deeper calling to the work that you're doing, the work that you've been doing for the past twenty years. Um, What is it that you actually wake up in the morning excited to do every single day?
0: I mean, I love my work. My daughter actually was sharing with me. She's like, you know, mommy, I really love watching you work because you seem so happy when you're doing it. I'm like, I I I do. I love. You know, for me, I'm I been doing the same thing, I guess, my whole life, you know, um, my love of teaching, my love of researching and figuring out solutions, right? So that's what I'm, that everything that I have built has come out of me figuring out easier solutions for women to navigate their healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love teaching, which is why I come and speak on so many podcasts and I'm going to be doing some new fun things in uh, early next year to teach more. Um, and, and then, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a femtech entrepreneur, doing something that is a little bit cutting edge in terms of, um, pioneering a conversation, uh, pioneering a, a a vertical within a business, a sort of business category, right? A hormonal healthcare platform mm-hmm. that we've not ever had before. Um, it's really exciting and stimulating on so many levels because we deserve to have a brand that's just dedicated to our hormonal wellness that really gives us products, services, and one-on-one support anywhere that you and your ovaries may find yourself mm-hmm. in an affordable way. Um, that's something that's really motivating <clears throat> to me. So I mean, I can't even identify just one thing because it's, it's, you know, as in love as I have been ever since I learned about my period, I still am. And I'm motivated to help women um, feel as good as they can. I I sort of feel like I am standing for this, um, this other version of reality that is really right under the skin for all of us. We just have been so deluded about our bodies that we have this terrible version of reality when it comes to our health. And I would like to see us step into what nature has always intended us for us to feel.
1: Amazing answer. And this podcast is also for the person who may be super lost or a little foggy or not knowing what that thing is for them and may see you working in your passion and obviously you had your own unique story of how you got there. But For the person that really is looking to work in an area that they love as much as what you love, um, what next steps would you tell them or what advice would you give them?
0: I would tell you, you know, I actually was just because it was day one yesterday, I was just journaling and, you know, I was commenting about how it's so important to listen to what your body is telling you. If I look back on all these pivotal moments, I was you know definitely uncertain of was i doing the right thing but i the, since i couldn't know the future all i could hold on to was this feeling of of clarity and certainty in my body that was saying take this next step even though you can't see how it's going to unfold i would just stay really present to you know the feeling so for example that included saying no when my gynecologist said, okay, well, you have to take all this medication for your PCOS. Even though I didn't know what was around the corner from not going down that path, Mm -hmm. I was so clear and certain on making that choice and every choice that I have made when it comes to, for example, even writing this next, this second book, um, was the timing of that optimal? Uh, there was a lot going on in my personal life that was that could have easily been something that I chose to schedule for another time writing this mm-hmm. book, but I, I felt so much that, that specific feeling that I have that, no, I have to write it now. And, um, and then I learned later why that timing was why that feeling about the timeliness of some choice was so valuable. So what I would say is, it's okay. And it is absolutely something you should expect not to know what your ultimate destination is going to be. Mm -hmm. What you need to practice is the skill of really listening to that intuition. And that is not this vague, amorphous, untrustworthy thing. In fact, when you read in the flow, you're going to learn about the part of your brain called the insula, which is bigger in women than it is in men, which houses your intuitive voice. It's so profound. And if you actually lean into that and let it lead you, let you lead you, right? Not the outside, but you, your inner knowing, your body's sensations lead you. You will inevitably be on your right path because there is no right path. But the joy I think that comes out of you know, this doing what you love is really about being dedicated to just being on your right path and then everything feels joyful.
1: I have goosebumps all over my body, just so you know.
0: <laughs> it feels good to talk about because I remember feeling confused at, and, you know, like, how am I going to, what am I going to do? How am I going to help women? How is this going to work out? Because it's not the traditional path, but um, it, it it this is my right path. And so you have to it be- It absolutely is. You have to be committed to- that you're here for a reason. Mm -hmm. You have some special musical note inside of you that needs to be played, as I like to say. And you just have to practice playing that note by all means necessary. And do not try to walk on somebody else's path because you think it's the right one. Mm -hmm. Do you, like seriously, do you like your entire life.
1: Amazing. I always close out the podcast asking a lighter question. What is your literal active ingredient? Something you have to take, read, do anything that you have to have in your life, in your day-to-day?
0: Hugs from my daughter (laughs) and dark chocolate. Amazing. I mean, (laughs) dandelion tea. I mean, I have a lot of things. I, I... I do not deprive myself of all the (laughs) things that could make me feel good. So I've got like a long list, but those are my top three for sure.
1: Amazing. Thank you so, so much for your time and for the work that you're doing. Your book stopped me from going on Accutane again. So I really, really... I'm
0: glad that um the information is empowering and makes you feel confident about the choices you're making around your self-care and your health care because that's exactly how it should be. You mm-hmm. should be armed with knowledge so that you can take care of yourself properly and we just deserve that. It's
1: time. Absolutely. Where can everyone find you? I know you've mentioned a few times but if you can say it one more time.
0: Sure, you can go to flowliving.com. That's F L O um, then if you want to down, uh, get the book, you can buy that wherever books are sold, but do go to the book website in the flow and download all these in tools that are free with purchase of the book. Um, you can download the app at my flow tracker, M Y F L O. And again, it's the circle icon. And then you can, um, join us at the cycle Syncing membership.com the supplements are on the website, flowliving.com and on Instagram and social it's at flowliving and at alisa.vd.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much. Seriously, this was amazing. You are one of the guests I really, really wanted to have on the podcast when I started it. So thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited. excited. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you can take two seconds of your time to rate and review us, it would really mean the world and help us out a ton. If you guys want more inspiration and quotes from the episode, you can check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.